Welcome to the Tesseract Podcast, where we unlock your power to innovate. Our mission is to empower airmen, connect them to resources, and accelerate change across the Air Force logistics enterprise. Specifically, our team works as an innovation accelerator assigned to the Air Staff Logistics Directorate, where we partner with airmen to operationalize the new sustainment strategy. My name is James, and I'm going to be your host today. Welcome to the show, Captain Christian Heen. Uh, Captain Sheen currently works at a program office known as HBM, which he informed me is not an acronym. It is just an Air Force system. Uh, that is the Aerosport, Aerospace Mission Planning Division out of Hanscom and out of the Air Force Lifecycle Management Center. Uh, prior to commissioning, Captain Shaheen attended University of New Hampshire, where he did ROTC. Uh, his first assignment was operational in Guam. Uh, as a joint environment. Uh, then he moved on to be a flight commander at BMT. A shout out to the 324th, the Knights, uh, for moving on to Hanscom to work on large projects with complicated organizational stuff, the kind of thing that requires contracting officers. Captain Gene, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always great to talk to you. Likewise. Uh, for the audience, uh, Kevin Shaheen and I were phantom fellows together. We were in the same cohort. Um, and I, I was a little bit more on the technical side of the house, whereas Captain Shaheen is obviously a contracting officer. So we didn't get to work together too much uh, until we did the Bravo hackathon together. And uh, I'll see if I can put it in the show notes. At, at the hackathon, Captain Shaheen took over kind of the presentation. And it was so refreshing to have someone that could communicate, not just someone very technical thinking about, you know, in the weeds of the data. And he made this whiteboard. It was the, the coolest thing ever. Uh, so great experience and very glad to have you on the show today. Yeah, likewise. I, I was so fun. Like, the program that y'all put together was incredible for the amount of time you had to and getting to be a part of that team was was so sick. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and... and for any listeners that are interested in, in uh, attending the hackathon or learning more about it, absolutely encourage it. Uh, if you can get your unit to fund it, if not, still reach out, still apply. And, you know, last time they had some funds to free up to, to fund some TUIs. It was awesome. Captain Sheen, would you like to add to anything in the, the description of your Air Force history? I kind of give a, a brief rundown. Uh, and if not, could you elaborate on what you do currently? Sure. Uh I think you covered it pretty well, but I currently uh, work in a world where there are a lot of big players in terms of working with uh, like the Boeings, the Lockheeds, uh, and there's a very set way of doing things. So I think it's interesting that our discussion today is going to be more on the, the fringe of that and where small businesses or even a single person can get involved in that world. Um, cause the world that I live in is extremely bureaucratic. Uh, it's extremely complex and, uh, like we, we contracting officers spend a large amount of time studying just to keep up with, um, all the rules and regulations that we have to follow. So, uh, interested to, to talk to you more about ways that people who aren't full-time contracting officers can break into that world and um, actually try to improve the Air Force. That's a perfect uh, transition to what the very first topic, you know, I kind of wanted to cover is uh, you talk about the complexity. It's easy to kind of abstract over what a contracting officer does. So to bring it down to 
to bring it down to a level that kind of an average listener can get at least some semblance of, could you take us through just a 30,000 foot view, but a day in the life? Absolutely. Uh, so every contracting officer has uh, different projects that they're working on. And to put it in the most simplest terms, you know, we buy stuff. Um, and that can be when you're talking small dollar and simple uh, acquisition, that can be as simple as going online and clicking purchase on a government website. But the the higher the complexity, the more vague it is, and the, the higher the dollar value, uh, the, the more rules come into play and the more work it takes to actually purchase things. And one common misconception about contracting is that we are an obstacle towards getting people what they need. Um, but what I, what I truly think we are is actually uh, we are a conduit for working around the extremely complex environment that we have inherited. Um, because the, to be honest, nobody even really knows how many laws and regulations there are. There are so many, uh, there's somewhere in the tens of thousands of laws that we have to follow to buy things. And, and most of those laws exist for a very good reason. Um, and it's because something happened in the past that created them, but it, it creates it a full-time job. Like during my day, I'm on meetings trying to, uh, work with the PMs, the project managers, work with the contractors and make sure that the customer, which in this case is uh, the Air Force and the airmen are getting what they need. Uh, they're getting it at a good price and um, they're getting it legally. Just a window into the, the, the levels of complexity. It's, it's weird. You'd think with all those rules that it would be kind of cut and dry, but it sounds like there's actually more interpretation and maybe even a little bit of like personality in the performance of these things or how you'd go about trying to make connection, make connections happen and make things work. Uh, am I hearing that? Like I said, every, uh, contracting officer studies quite a bit and can see their, start to develop ways that they like to do things or that they interpret. Um, so we, we talk to like legal a lot, for example, to say, um, I want to buy something in this way. Is that legal? And then they'll give us their legal opinion back. But ultimately, it is the contracting officer who's signing the contract. And, and with that signature comes a lot of responsibility because we're saying we, we're, we're doing the right thing here. So a lot of times I have to go reach back and, and write a memorandum to kind of explain my thinking to say, here's why I thought this was a good idea. Um, and every contracting officer will, will write a memo, but no two memos will be exactly the same. And there is so much gray and there is so much like... You got to make a choice whether you want to do it the more correct way or the more legally way. Do you go with the intention of the law or do you go with the letter of the law? There's a lot of those decisions that we make uh, every day. So you're like managing this abstract risk portfolio of things that sometimes you may actually be excited about, but maybe sometimes just part of your job. That is a, uh, a complicated web. Uh, and I'd like to move towards, obviously, this is kind of an innovation based podcasts and, and, uh, our organization is, you know, based in the innovation world. So to segue towards that, how did it get to being this gray area? What, what's the, what's the cause of this? You mentioned that it's like this for good reason. I'm sure that there's a good reason. Yeah. To that. You, you know, that this is just from our relationship, you know, that this is something that I'm like passionate about. And, uh, it basically, it, it, this has been a, 
a cycle and a trend uh, since pretty much America was invented. Uh, you can trace it all the way back to the Revolutionary War, but just the music got faster, warfare got more complex. But basically how it would work would be, you know, the military needs something. There are problems, whether those are cost overruns or corruption or uh, just quality issues. So the the government makes more laws to prevent that. And then the acquisition community has to find creative ways around that. They, they're successful with it until there are more problems and then the government makes more laws. And you can literally trace this cycle back pretty, pretty much all the way back to, to this, the beginning. Um, but now we live in an environment where uh, we inherit, laws get written, but they very rarely get retracted. They get, they change, but they, it just becomes more and more uh, they, they build on top of each other. So we, we live in a, we have a, a 12 inch thick rule book right now that we're working with. To give you an example, we always tried to open up competition to small business. If we can buy something from a small business and give them kind of a piece of the pie, we will do that. However, if there's, if that's not possible, if, if we're like, there's no small business that can provide this, then we'll have to intentionally write a memorandum that says, you know, we're not going small business and then we're going this way instead. And there are a million little things like that where we try to do it a certain way, um, but we have to make that call and there are different parties involved and there's always going to be different weights and measures about what's important. And like, is time important? Is cost important? Is getting exactly the right thing important? Or like, do, do we need the brand name or do, can we go get a generic version? Um, yeah, all those decisions that our people make every day, just like it sounds like on the flight line and pretty much everywhere, we're all making those decisions. Uh, since you brought up uh, small businesses, uh, I'd like you to speak a little bit to your experience with working with small businesses. Um, and maybe if you could give a brief overview of the ways that we do kind of lean towards small businesses, whether that's the vehicles we provide or kind of the, the different routes that that takes where we're actually, you know, transacting with that. So that's a great question. Um, the, a lot of emphasis in the past few decades has been uh, to, to make the playing field more fair. And the, by default, the big players are going to have an edge because they, uh, they already own so many resources that small businesses don't have access to. Um, so we, what we do is we will, we call them set asides where we will set aside a contract and say, you need to have less than this many employees to bid on it. Um, and that has actually become our default where we go to that first. And then there are, there are various other ways to break it down. Um, whereas there's like veteran-owned small business, woman-owned small business, things like that, that are further set-asides. And the Air Force has goals of giving a certain amount of contracts to each one of those groups. Uh, so would you want to get into like Cibber now or, or would you rather uh, save that for later? Well, yeah, if you could give a quick overview on what a Cibber is, uh, I think that would be helpful. Yeah, sure. Because Cibber plays not into what we were just talking about with small business, but also into just how it's kind of a uh, alternative to the to the bureaucratic nightmare that I was talking about earlier. Where, yeah, so Cibber and 
SITR, uh, which are uh, stand for Small Business Innovation Research and Small Business Technology Transfer are both programs um, that are specifically to provide funding and support to small businesses, specifically for turning ideas into reality. So it's, those are innovation specific things. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a collaboration uh, split into three different phases where businesses can go from finding out is something possible, then researching it further, and then in the third stage, uh, commercializing that technology. So basically, the government's like, wouldn't it be cool if this existed? And then there's a small business that says, it sure would. We think we can do it. And then we kind of explore that path together. How old is the Super Pro? Do you know if, yeah, it was created in the 80s, uh, but it's one of those things that, uh, like a lot of these, there's, there's kind of a pattern where with a lot of these, because they are so different than the norm, they are a lot of people are skeptical to try them out and they are just now i would say becoming more into the mainstream um and i imagine i so i looked it up before but if you ask uh the average person who has a big familiar familiarity with it they would probably guess that they're more recent than that because it seems like they're just coming out uh of the woodwork and becoming a, a more mainstream thing and if anything uh, what if anything existed did anything exist before to kind of even the playing field or to give preference to the not major companies that you hear about, not not the household name? There were ad hoc sort of efforts to do that. But from my research, the they were kind of one-off things that certain programs would take on. There's also one thing that I'd like to get more into about uh, called OTAs, Other Transaction Authority, um, that has been around since the Vietnam War is something that DARPA did. I kind of wanted to, for the sake of uh, having regular people kind of understand the the Cibber program, I kind of, this is one of those things I wanted to see if you'd indulge me on. Without Cibber, let, let's look at the Wright brothers. So uh, they Cibbers did not exist when they were working on their big idea, which was to create airplanes. Um, so they started in 1899 and they were doing their own thing, conducting their own tests. Uh, and it took them almost five years to, to get their first powered flight, uh, in, in 1903. And then in 1905, they actually approached the army and said, Hey, we are kind of figuring this out. Uh, what do you think? And the army actually said to them, no, come back to us when you figured it out. And then a few years later, the army approached the Wright brothers and they said, you know, now that you've, uh, developed this, we want in. But at that time, the the reason why they'd been able to develop it is because they went to France and did French contracts. So even though we were the birth of air power, uh, France got kind of a head start because the the government didn't have a mechanism to do this. So if if Cibber had existed back then, they, the Wright brothers could have come to the government and said, "Hey, we think this is possible." And then in phase one, they could have done a feasibility study. They could have you know conducted wind tunnel testing, built prototypes and done other research. And we, we know that would have went well, so they could have done phase two, which would have been to, de- to further design the airplane, refine the design, and hire more staff, purchase equipment, and increase the funding to it, which would have meant phase three, they could have commercialized it in America, and France wouldn't even have had to have been involved, and it probably would have happened a little bit sooner. So it's it's interesting, with, with innovative technology, there is sort of that valley of death, and the... Cyber program helps small businesses kind of get over that. So if if that had happened back then, um, 
army would have had an even bigger head start. That is an awesome, uh, it's not a metaphor, it's an example to project backwards uh, to the turn of the century. So you're saying that they basically, the Wright brothers phased one on their own when they weren't working in whatever. Uh, they were they were bicycle owners. We got lucky that they, they pushed through because that we, that's typically not the norm for small businesses. They, you know, it's such an uphill climb that. So they phased one by themselves. They kind of phased two in France and then they came back with, with a, you know, kind of ready to start to operationalize kind of acting. And from there, the, the army did kind of take it and run with it. But at that, if, if Sibber had existed, then none of that other side effects would have happened. And like, we, the air force probably would have been created sooner and it's, it's too much theorizing to go into, but you just look at how, how lucky we got to get the Wright brothers and there are right now, there are, you know, thousands of Wright brothers out there, whether it's software or, uh, drones or other, other new technologies, AI, where, you know, without Sibber or with Sibber rather, we can, we can have them build the next airplane. I feel like I would not be, uh, treating my organization fairly if I didn't give a shout out and kind of explain to some listeners what we do at Tesseract, because what, what. Kemp Shaheen is describing here uh, in the Sibir process, there's a government side of it that is communicating the needs and communicating with stakeholders and stuff like this kind of programmatic stuff. It's not too important. But the, the long and the short of it is that you need someone in the Air Force, say, that knows what the problem is and can, can communicate results with the people that are maybe paying, you know, paying for the process, uh, paying for the research or what have you. So that's something that we at Tesseract do. Uh, and, you know, for that reason, if you do have an idea, if you are an airman in the field and you have an idea, uh, especially if it relates to A4 community and especially, especially if it relates to logistics or maintenance within the A4, um, that, that's when we're going to be hopefully a very good resource for you to use. Um, this ties right in. Tesseract has put like millions of dollars of cyber contracts out there uh, and taken ideas and scaled them already. So, uh, yeah, huge shout out to you guys. Thanks, sir. Thank So, Dean, I am an airman. I am truly an E4. Uh, let's say I'm still out on the flight line and I have a low cost idea. Everyone in my unit uh, has talked about how awesome it would be. And it seems like it would be not too difficult, maybe just a couple thousand dollars to get it kind of rolling. Um, and it, it could have the potential to save a lot of time and maybe even a lot of money for the Air Force. Uh, why is it difficult to just do it? Uh, and, and I'd like you think about this specifically from your experience, because you have kind of a unique side of this, uh, side of this story. I, I, I love this question. Um, I, I think that the biggest thing holding the airmen back is how smart they are. They, they may not know how specific like the, there are a lot of unknown variables, but they know that there are going to be bureaucratic hurdles. There are going to be funding issues, uh, that there's limited time, you know, with all their other duties and resources. Uh, they just know that the, the, the hill is going to be so steep that they have to climb. Um, and to add on that, they probably aren't quite sure where to start because they don't see people innovating in their day-to-day job. So those can be pretty big hurdles. The, but the good news, I think, is the there's never been a better time for an airman to be able to make that 
sort of leap and help innovate. And James, I think you yourself are a testament to that. But uh, in general, this organization and this time in history are uh, the best time because the Air Force is going to push innovation in a big way, knowing that it's going to, you know, really affect our future. So to that airman, I would, there are a few different directions you can approach the, the problem from. So that in terms of the unknown, uh, there are a few places that they can look to, to start. Most of them probably won't be a good fit, but, uh, they can look at like you guys, they can look at Tesseract. They can look into the app works programs. They can look into the vision platform. Um, they can, if it's a software thing, you know, there are multiple software factories like the, like Tron, Airman Coders, Kessel Run, which is here at Hanscom, and then Bespin uh, that can help them produce programs. And each one of those has produced uh, a program that has already kind of radically changed the Air Force. I'd like to summarize what you just said, and you can tell me if I misspeak, but the gist of it is talk to someone, right? Talk to someone, uh, learn what resources are out there and just keep communicating, keep pushing for sure. So that would, there are a couple different ways that you, that I would agree with that. So talk to someone as in reach out to someone over there, but there's also, so you mentioned uh, a small couple thousand dollar thing. Uh, a lot of squadrons generally get what are called innovation funds, which is the air force kind of screaming, like, please innovate at, at your level. Um, and that, that goes out to the entire air force. So for the airmen, talk to their their supervisors or maybe get the commander roped in and have something ready. So when that that funding comes down, when the commander is asked, how are you going to innovate with this? You know, they're not going to say, oh, we're going to buy new tablets or whatever. They're going to say, well, airman blank had this really cool idea to do this thing. We're going to give it a shot. And that that's specifically what the innovation funds are for. Additionally, and I did some Googling earlier, but... I think almost every base has an innovation cell at the base. So if this is something that a person is serious about, reach out to that cell. It's created for contractors, but it's also for airmen to have local points and to be able to network out. Um, I, and that's, that's literally what it's there for. Innovation is hard enough as is, but it, the idea that anybody could do it alone is uh, nearly impossible. Yeah, that's, that's, that's excellent. Uh, to hammer on just a little bit more uh, onto that cell thing. So that's why you have things like the Spark Network. But there's really uh, kind of endless, more or less formal networks like that. And a lot of these organizations have their own kind of social media presence or they have their own Slack channels or they have their own Discord channels. You name it. Uh, there are people talking. And I'd say more often than not, you have an idea that you think or that people around you think is good then there's going to be people that are not around you that also think that's so yeah that that communication piece is definitely a a, a big big deal and i think everybody can play a role in that because a lot of like tesseract is doing weeks and downs for this sort of idea of getting the word out but we need to kind of hit a a critical mass in terms of innovation being an accepted part of the culture uh, and I still think we're, we have a ways to go on that, but having people talk to each other, uh, encourage each other is, is definitely a great place to start. And there are so many hubs for this that, and I'm sure right now there are probably 
dozens of airmen who have brilliant ideas if they could just get connected to the right conduit. And I, I think you mentioned Spark Tank, but if they just knew about Spark Tank and knew how to get started and were encouraged and all the pieces were kind of lined up for them, then we can. And I think we will see that. We will see innovations continue to come up from the top up or from the bottom up. That's awesome. On a slightly, maybe less positive note, uh, do you sense that there's a danger to, say, people in the seats right now, the, the people that have been in the seats and been around the Air Force, maybe they're later in their careers. Um, do you sense any pushback when it comes to all this innovation? Do you sense any like risk aversion that, that gets in the way of these things? And if so, what are some, what are some ways that you would recommend people try to deal with that? I will, I do want to preface this by saying, I think we've seen a massive transformation of that kind of thinking from senior leadership. The vast majority of, you know, colonels and generals and that I've, and SESs that I've heard speak, uh, speak positively about this kind of thinking. But I will say that that is, that is pretty recent. Five, 10 years ago, it was a lot more focused on the mission. Uh, and even in contracting, we were very risk averse, like go the known path. Um, but I, and to that kind of thinking, I think that you can look at individual success stories that, um, that this sort of thing is not only a nice thing to do, like, and, and it's, this is not just a dream, but it, it's something that if we don't do it, we're going to fall behind. So I'm going to point to, so Castle Run is right down the street from me. And, uh, they developed a, this command and control program called Chimera, uh, which was just a a better way to track stuff. Um, and seems like a nice idea, but we're already currently using Excel, right? But then we had the Afghan uh, evacuation where we had to track over 100,000 people within a few days. Um, imagine people doing that on Excel that you really couldn't. But so Castle Run was able to spin up this Chimera software to track 124,000 people in, in four days. And if we didn't have that, we would have, I, we would have, the mission would have failed. So we're going to continue to see these situations where if we don't have next gen tools, uh, we're going to, the old way is just not going to keep up. That, that's an awesome example. Uh, because I feel like it's easy to perceive when you're in the field that these innovations are happening slower than you'd like them to, because uh, we are still using Excel products in, in many different ways. So I think it's quite important to be aware of the wins when they happen. And they do happen. They do happen absolutely daily. Uh, of course, a lot of them aren't scaled up to like enterprise wide, but there are individual units. Uh, and sometimes, you know, phase like cyber phase two they're still in the feasibility study but they get a tool given to them uh and they have immediate wins and then the transition to operationalizing that and making it a, a broader scale still takes a little bit of time so for anyone listening that is thinking i've heard of these things but they're far off and distant and it's not yet affecting me uh it, it will it will and it's kind of like what captain sheen was talking about he said the leaps and bounds have been made in the last handful of years. Uh, so we're just now getting to the point where these things are going to start maturing and becoming, you know, existing programs, uh, programs of record or just little 
tools and, and helpful things that exist on the side. Um, would that be a fair, a fair message to say regarding the, I totally agree. And I think that we're starting to, uh, develop things in the correct way and a more organic way by taking really talented people and putting them in the same room and having them tackle a solution. So I think a lot of people think about like my eval, for example, as like the, the norm or like an example of why we shouldn't be doing this, but it is the opposite where the, that was kind of a, a static way to approach a problem, but having this organic talent pool and having people who are smart, talented with a vision, uh, create that is creating some extremely progressive solutions. And I, I would agree with your call out to anyone listening to this, uh, or know somebody who might fit this, um, please encourage them. Uh, to to get their idea out and to you know whether for so to look at James James you were on the flight line as of last year and now you because someone recognized that because you stepped up and put the work in um, you went from the MIT accelerator onto Tesseract and you're working kind of to build the the vision that you have so I think right now you're atypical but someday I it'd be cool if you were kind of the norm thank you sir yeah. I, uh, I talked about this a little bit on the, the last episode, uh, the transition episode where I interviewed the previous host of the podcast, Matt Miranda. Uh, yeah, from my perspective, I've only been in the Air Force for two years and I've only seen the good sides of this so far. And, and I hope that I don't have the rude awakening. Of course, I'm sure I will with, with a, a bad day, uh, at some point, especially, you know, up here at the enterprise level where we have to think about strategy strategy sometimes overcoming uh what you might think is practical or, or or more imminent or immediate but for now though yeah we're doing great we're making big moves i'm real happy to be here this is awesome <laughs> okay i have uh, another kind of uh we'll say actionable question for you so cam shaheen i am in the air force i don't sit on any fancy spark cell or working group. Uh, I don't talk to policymakers and I don't have an idea. Uh, what can I do to help bring innovation to my unit? Even if I'm not aware of it, say at the current moment. So I would, there are a number of things. Well, first of all, I, I would agree. There are a number of people who probably feel that way. Uh, and for that, those people, I do have a number of ways that they can First of all, I would say uh, share their ideas and insights. So that would involve uh, speaking up um, and putting together a unique perspective and experience to to show people. Uh, I would encourage people to put the work in first. Is if if you tell someone, "Hey, wouldn't it be neat if this existed?" People are going to be like, "Okay," but if you really, you know, put together an Excel sheet or put together a PowerPoint and show it to your boss that I think that would raise some eyebrows. Um, staying informed, I think is critical. So you, you kind of frame the question as what if I'm not in, in any sort of special thing, but if, if someone stays informed, they can find on their base level or their organization level, uh, a way to get involved with this sort of movement. Um, and it, it would be very hard to accomplish, you know, a big thing without getting involved um, and, and staying informed. And then networking goes along with that. So 
uh, developing a network. It has never been easier with Facebook, Reddit, uh, to to find people who are in a similar position uh, or who, who might have the other half of the puzzle that, you, that you're trying to put together. Um, and I saw on Reddit like uh, a couple years ago, uh, a couple airmen put together this this program. Yeah, uh, well, I found it good. So there were these two airmen. Uh, I'll, I'll say their usernames because I don't know their real names. Wills Wire and Red October Standing, who created this AFI Explorer to bridge the gap and and make repubs more mobile, user friendly. Um, that sort of thing. I think if you're an airman with an innovative idea, you should put that kind of work in. Um, and not only will that help the Air Force, but it, it would help stand out at a time where it's it, where things like promotions are more competitive. Uh, I think the Air Force is going to start looking for this sort of thing more. Thank you for that example. Uh, so that uh, that's such a good example. That's a that's a C one thirty mechanic, uh, you know, crew chief that developed that, uh, and that's a perfect you know way to shout out our our Slack community that we have. It's kind of the public facing channel for us or the innovator facing channel. Uh, so if you've never heard of our LNO network, uh, please drop by our website or uh, check the show notes. If we have the show notes on whatever platform you're using uh, and there, there'll be a link on there to join our LNO network. And that's a good way to kind of keep your ear uh, ready, you know, keep your ear to the ground. I think it's the expression uh, for any sorts of, you know, A4 innovations. I don't know if that guy like his name dropped on the, the podcast, but if you go into our Slack network, you can see him post about the updates for that. Uh, great. Yeah, it's super cool to see that sort of thing happening. And so th- that's something that even 10, 20 years ago, it wouldn't, would have just been fundamentally impossible. So things are changing quickly. Yeah. And that's a great example because he, uh, I, d- I don't know his story of how he developed that, but it, I mean, obviously a big part of that is that he, he bootstrapped it himself. I uh, figured out, I don't know if he learned, if he learned to code as he worked on it or new coding was looking, you know, he had a hammer, he's looking for a nail kind of thing. Uh, but either way, if you can start to work on it yourself, and especially if it doesn't need to interface with Air Force Network uh, as directly or as much in real time, like in case of AFI Explorer, gets updated based on the EPUBs, which is not only on Ask That. Uh, that's all the better. You don't even need money or extra time. I mean, sure, I'm sure his leadership absolutely loves him and, and appreciates the heck out of him for innovating. And I, I would want to call back to our experience with the hackathon where we were given um, this challenge of using this weather data from uh, from Patrick Space Force Base to, to improve on their system. And they gave us this classified data uh, that we were supposed to build off of, but and instead, we went off publicly available data from NASA and built a tool with that. Um, so basically, the moral of that story is for a lot of these ideas, you can at least get started with things that are publicly available and that you won't get in trouble for for using. And then at least to the point where you can show leadership, this is my idea. And if they want to take it and run with it, then you can start incorporating it to Air Force specific systems. And it gets tr- trickier, but you'll have more help by then. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, uh, and it worth mentioning that we talked about the, the specific phase of the SIBA earlier, but that phase one, that initial the government handing a company of money to explore something, uh, all they have to generate is a report. So if you took that as a parallel to the innovation of 
I'm an airman and I'm trying to innovate within the Air Force, not go to an outside company. I think it would be pretty easy to convince people with a, this is what it would look like. This is what the capabilities would be. Uh, so you kind of just almost wireframe it out, you know, if it's an app or something like that. But if it's like a piece of hardware, you know, start to look into how much time the existing process takes and how much time it would take afterwards or, you know, what's the difference uh, if if your idea would be a reality. And that's enough to start kind of rolling the stone uh, of innovation there. Tam Shaheen, I know because we talked in preparation for this that you have a a landing metaphor that you'd like to share about the innovation ecosystem in the DOD and in the Air Force. Would you like to describe this? This hot toy for me. I, I appreciate you giving me a chance to circle back to talk a little bit more about OTAs and SIBRs. Uh, so how I look at the current contracting landscape is uh, we, we have the, uh, the FAR, which is the Federal Acquisition Regulation, the AFARs, the DFARs, and a bunch of other publications uh, that are just this complex uh, sort of Gordian knot, which... Uh, for those of you who may not know, the Gordian knot was this knot that uh, this Asian king had tied together and that was so complicated it was, that it was said anyone who could untie it would be declared king of Asia. And Alexander the Great, as he was conquering, passed by this knot and he looked at it and took his sword out and just cut it in half. And I think a lot of us are out Alexander in this situation where we're looking at this complicated mess of regulations and like, if I can just get away to cut through this to get the innovation that I'm looking for. Um, and we are, we are in a time where that is not only possible, but actually encouraged. So back to the OTA, the other transaction authority, uh, for years, the thinking has been like, this is worst case scenario. If nothing in the FAR works, then you can go outside the FAR to this other transaction authority. Uh, and you can only use it very specifically for researcher prototypes. Uh, and nowadays, it's still only good for research and prototyping, but the Congress has said, please use these. They push for it. And uh, a lot of companies and academic institutions and research organizations are a lot more clued into it. Um, and the beautiful thing about OTs is they are not subject to the same rules and regulations as traditional procurement contracts. So you can move so much quicker and you can, as long as you're doing that prototyping or that research, it's as simple as you think it should be where I have money, I have a stakeholder, I have a person who can build it for me, make it happen. Um, so if, if you're in an organization that has funding and is looking for kind of a, a way to cut through the Gordian knot, look at OTAs first and then as well as looking at Sibber and Sitter, because uh, those are potential swords you can use. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that story. And I think that's a good uh, a good message for all levels, uh, you know, for that, you know, A1C and supply that's, that's kind of in the warehouse right now. Uh, that is not to say that you're going to go, you know, talk to leadership about this uh, idea that you had and talk about the contracting vehicle right away. Uh, but it is for you to know that it, if you run into issues uh, with things like this is not possible, um, maybe reach out to some other folks and see what, what actually is possible. Captain Shaheen, is there anything else that you wish we covered for the meat of this? Uh, if 
If not, I have some kind of miscellaneous questions for you to wrap up the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I think as you could probably tell from the number of callbacks I've done, I'm a fan of history. And so one of the things that I like to daydream about is how the time we live in right now is going to be viewed in history. And I optimistically would, would love if it was seen as a golden age of technological innovation. But when you really think about it, it comes down to how all of us make that happen. Um, and we, you and I are, are part of that AI mafia that's trying to push AI into the Air Force. But there are a zillion other potential ways that we can help transform this into something um, that history will look back on and be like, wow, that was a true revolution. Uh, so I think it, it takes a village in terms of everyone from the airmen to the CGO to those leaders who are in huge positions of power. But I think it's pretty promising in terms of the, the, at least for the air force, I think people will look back and say, you know, that was incredible what they were able to do, uh, so quickly. I love the optimism. You got to be optimistic. That's awesome. It's, you do, and it's, it's contagious and it's not, uh, I, I don't think that there's an ounce of naivete in there. I think that that's, you're absolutely, you know, you're absolutely on the ball with that. And the only thing that I'd add is if, if you feel another way, uh, you know, before you go and assume that someone is just being difficult for difficulty's sake, you know, try to imagine what it's like to climb their hill you know, before, because anytime you're asking for help in something, you're essentially saying, I climbed my hill and I built this thing. Now you help me climb this next hill to, to you know, get this thing somewhere. Uh, so, so when you get pushed back on your idea, maybe first, before you can, can, before you think that someone is just out to get you or they don't like the idea or they don't like innovation or, or what have you, or, you know, the current system is broke. Uh, you know, you use that little bit of empathy to think about why. Uh, and then if you can, find a kind of mutually interesting way to go about solving that problem. That's going to be your best way of cutting through that, that Gordian knot that couch came Exactly. And I would, I would like to caveat that where I'm not a, I, I don't see myself as naive. I've been told now so many times on different ideas, but I would, and I, I, but I can imagine you're probably right that some people might've heard what I just said and maybe rolled their eyes, but, uh, I, I would just like to re restate that every one of us has uh, has our, a, a share of changing the culture. We have uh, a share of the responsibility to do that in a positive way. So even if you feel like you're part of the minority on that, um, it's still important to continue to push in that direction and push back against the institutions that are resistant to change because it, it's going to take a lot of no's. And it's going to take a lot of failure, whether you're innovating or you're you're trying to tell somebody that there's a better way. Uh, that doesn't mean you're naive and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be optimistic. It just means that you, you got to have a lot of uh, integrity and a lot of persistence. Thank you so much for listening to the Tesseract Podcast. This show is how I started to learn about enterprise-level strategy and the innovation ecosystem within the Air Force. And I hope we passed along some learning to you with this episode. 
If you'd like to engage with our team, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and connect with us on LinkedIn. Any references to trademarked, copyrighted, or protected products or services such as books, movies, or businesses are used here for the limited purpose of education and professional development of Air Force Airmen. If you have any questions, please contact us at www.tesseract.af.mil.